As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to another Mothman podcast. Tonight's episode, um, I'm just going to leave it up to you to believe it or not to believe it. But either way, it's a story. A real, live, paranormal story. We've spoken much about it since I was a child, and I've never spoken about it on any kind of a public forum such as this. You are free not to believe me. I, in fact, encourage you to doubt anything that you're told by anybody, including me. I'm typing this message because as I've gotten older and I've spent over two decades developing a life to the best of my ability, I've carried an immense weight on my shoulders that neither therapists nor psychiatrists treat as anything other than a method of repressing memories at best and the delusions of a lunatic at worst. I do not blame you if you draw those same conclusions. I'm typing this in what I believe has become the most publicly traded speaking place on the internet for the sole purpose of attempting to draw the weight I've carried and move on with my life. This is more of a personal cleanse than an attempt to intrigue, if you know what I mean. And if nobody reads this message and it becomes buried among the innumerable posts on Reddit, I will have at least gotten it off my chest. I am not from here. And by here, I mean where I currently live. I mean where any of us live. Anybody reading this right now. It's now a few days after my 30th birthday. And this time of the year always strikes me because I started kindergarten on my birthday when I turned five. And I thought at the time, everybody did that. You turn five, and when you're five, you go to school. I didn't realize that my birthday just happened to coincide with the first day of school. And a little over a year later, in about two weeks' time, it would have been 24 years to the day that my entire world vanished. I was born in San Diego and lived in a poor suburb of San Diego as a child. I lived in an apartment complex called the Lemon Vine Apartments that were a bit slummier version of the Lemon Vine Apartments found in Lemon Grove, a suburb of San Diego. My parents were divorced, but friendly. My mother was young when she had me and she was beautiful. 
She was in her early 20s and was aspiring to be a model and would regularly take trips to Los Angeles to do photo shoots. She did glamour modeling for magazines. She had a darker skin tone because she was one quarter Indian, Indian not Native American, and it gave her an exotic look. My favorite picture of her as a child was her modeling a luxurious wedding dress for a bridal company. I used to sleep with that picture when she would go to Los Angeles and I would stay with my dad who worked for the city of San Diego. They shared custody pretty evenly and even did Christmas together as a family even though they had split up when I was a baby. My dad, his girlfriend, my mom who was single and me. Maybe things weren't as good between them as I remember but I was six so if there was drama behind the scenes they did a pretty good job of hiding it from me. On September the 17th, 1996, I was staying with my dad's parents in Riverside, California. They had a small farm where they raised chickens, pigs, and goats. No horses or sheep or anything like that. But my grandma had several pet ducks that would eat seeds from your hand, fly away and return every year like clockwork. My dad had work nights for the weekend. My mom was in Los Angeles, so I stayed with my grandparents. Schools back then were pretty cool with this kind of thing. And I was sent home with the sorts of nonsense assignments you'd expect of a first grader who'd just gone back to school after summer break ended. The 17th was the third day that I was staying with my grandparents and my grandpa had told me to be careful outside because he'd seen a rattlesnake and wasn't sure where it went. So, since nobody knew where this mysterious snake had gone off to, six-year-old me decided to go hunting for it. In hindsight, letting a six-year-old go looking around a farm for a rattlesnake was probably not in any parenting 101 handbooks, but it was the 90s and I guess they didn't expect me to actually find a snake. There were woods on the property, but I wasn't allowed to go in there. So they probably figured that that snake had gone off somewhere else. I spent all day outside playing jungle exploration on the farm, trying to track down this rattlesnake, and much to my excitement when I decided to open up the well house, there it was, curled up rattling away. I immediately slammed the door shut and ran to my grandparents' house to tell them that I'd found it. Now this might be my six-year-old memory exaggerating, but I'm pretty sure that snake was about 900 feet long. Give or take, I found it though. I was excited to tell my grandpa that I found the snake so that he could do what he did and go out and shoot that thing. I ran in the back door of the house which leads you into the laundry room and through the kitchen. I paid no mind to anything until I turned left and entered the room expecting to see my grandparents, my uncle, and the neighbor couple all sitting in the living room where I'd left them, except they weren't there and it wasn't the same living room anymore. The furniture was completely wrong. The hard and memorable, uncomfortable hardwood furniture my grandpa loved so much was gone. The coffee table he made out of a tree stump was gone, replaced by fluffy grandma-looking furniture. A three-person sofa with a floral design was on it. The TV was in the wrong place, and there was also a much newer TV than my grandfather had sitting on the ground. The hardwood paneling on the walls was gone, or at least covered by blue wallpaper. The hardwood floor was shaggy off white carpet. The pictures of my dad and uncle and me and my grandfather were all gone off the wall, replaced by paintings and pictures of people that I didn't know. As confused as I was by this, I was more confused by everybody being missing. In my six-year-old brain, I accepted that they may have completely rearranged the house while I'd spent the day looking for that rattlesnake. But I didn't believe at all that they'd just leave me alone. And I didn't see anybody leave. I didn't see the cars go anywhere down the road or anything like that. So I walked out the front door which was attached to the living room as they usually are 
and thought maybe they'd gone to the chickens or the pigs or something. Both should have been visible from the front porch, but the chicken coop was gone and the pig pen had lost its fencing, and there were no pigs to be found anywhere. At this point, I was beyond confused and I was getting very scared. I didn't want to be alone, and I didn't see anyone. Even though I lived on a very small farm, the neighbors that had been visiting lived just across the dirt road. So I ran down our dirt road driveway and across the road to their house, assuming that they must have went there or been there. I remember getting more and more scared as I ran to their house, and I remember starting to cry when their house was the wrong color. It wasn't that faded yellow house that it used to be. It wasn't even the right house anymore. Nevertheless, I banged on the door. I remember that at this point I was crying quite profusely because I didn't understand what was happening and I kept wiping my face, which was now covered in dirt having been digging around all day for that stupid snake. When the door opened and a woman in her late 40s and early 50s answered, I'd never seen her before. I just started walling uncontrollably. Everything after this point is largely a blur because nothing was right. I knew where I lived. I knew where I went to school. I knew where my grandparents lived. But I met the people who lived where my grandparents lived, and they were not my grandparents. I did not know them. I begged for them to get my uncle to tell them who I was, but my uncle wasn't there either. Through a series of various police and people in suits, I was brought back to the town that I lived in after spending what seemed like 10 hours in a local police station trying to contact my parents. I had my home phone number memorized, but I told them that my dad would probably be asleep. But when they called that number, the person on the other end had no idea who I was or what the police were talking about. I was then asked to give the police my address and sat in the local police station while the police went to my hometown and went to my address. When they finally called the station back, they were informed that the name of the apartment building was incorrect. Lemon Vine Apartments didn't exist and the address I gave them was to an apartment complex called Merritt Manor and the apartment number I gave them was unoccupied. I believe at this moment they were under the assumption that I had given them the wrong name of the apartments and the wrong apartment number, but I did in fact live there. When I was finally brought to my hometown after changing hands a couple of times between the police, I was asked to give the police officers my address again and was driven to where I lived. That was it. That was my apartment complex. But just like everything else, it looked wrong. And it was painted a different color too. And the sign used to have a large image of a lemon reading Lemon Vine and now it read Merritt Manor. I took the police to where I lived exactly. And just as they said, nobody lived there. From this point forward, the police attempted to contact my neighbors. All of them knew me, but none of them were who they were supposed to be. Every person who came out of the apartment building around me was the wrong person. And they didn't even know me. From this point, they attempted to contact my father, which should have been easy as he worked for the city. But no employee by his name apparently worked for the city in any capacity. As day turned to night and I spent endless hours sitting in the police station, as they attempted to find any person in the world who knew me, I couldn't do anything but cry and cry and cry endlessly. A woman in a suit who I think was either a detective or just somebody who happened to work at the station sat with me for several hours and tried to keep me calm and she gave me a stuffed dog. A Dalmatian puppy that looked a bit like one of those dogs from 101 Dalmatians and told me his name was Sparky. She said that I could keep Sparky and that when they found my parents, Sparky would go home with me and make sure that I didn't get lost again. 
She said that he was a good dog and that he would protect me if I took care of him. During this time, they attempted to contact my school and I told them that I went to Shawnee Elementary. It was easy to find and it was really close to where I lived, but a school by such a name, you guessed it, did not exist. My school was now apparently called Anza Elementary. At one point, I was asked if the police had ever taken my fingerprint and they had. In kindergarten, my entire class had four fingerprints taken by the police at a school gym for basically this exact reason. Unsurprisingly, this did not help at all. They couldn't find my parents, my grandparents, my neighbors, my apartment, or even me. They couldn't even find me. I was too young to remember what my social security number was, but I severely doubt that it would have mattered. They asked me my birthday and any relevant information that could help figure out who I was and where I belonged, but nothing turned up any information about me. At some point during the day, I was briefly taken to the ER as the police suspected that I may have sustained some kind of a head injury. After being looked over by a doctor, they found nothing wrong with me, and I was sent back to the police station. I ended up staying with somebody that night. I'm not entirely sure who it was. Someone from child services, I imagine. I couldn't stop crying long enough to really focus on what was happening after this point. I cried myself to sleep several times in the police station, and cried myself to sleep again at the house I stayed at that night, despite the woman who was staying with me not the same woman who gave me Sparky, doing everything in her power to calm me down. I clung to Sparky so hard I'm surprised I never popped his head off. I didn't have any pictures of my mom. I didn't know what was going on, and nobody could find out where I belonged. This didn't make any sense to me. I was only six, and just barely. I lived where I lived, and my parents were my parents, and my school was my school, and they just disappeared all in one day. In between fits of crying and waking up, I begged to go home. I begged for the lady that I was staying with to try and call my dad again. I just kept begging to go home. Over the next few days, I was interrogated and questioned by different people at different times and different places all hours of the day. The police, other investigators, people from all departments I still don't know, child psychologists, everybody under the sun was asking me questions. I was back and forth between the police station and the house that I was staying at until eventually somebody told me that they'd located my parents and they were coming to get me finally i was going home finally this was going to be over finally i could get away from all these strangers asking me these questions over and over and over again when this couple showed up to the police station my heart fell to my feet as they were not my parents but they had a son that had gone missing and i fit the description pretty closely the woman started crying when she saw me because immediately she knew that i was not her missing son but I was out of tears to cry at that point. Eventually, I was collected by child services and I was taken to a foster family where I stayed for a few months. The police launched a campaign asking anybody to come forward with information about me. They took my picture at the police station for the newspapers to put on the news. I never let go of Sparky for a second. They didn't want me to hold him in the photo because I didn't have him when I arrived, but I did need him and would throw an immense temper tantrum when somebody would try to take him away from me. They had asked me to put back the clothes that I was wearing when they found me, but since then they had given me new clothes to wear. In those months I spent at the foster home, parents of missing children would come to the house to see if I was their child. I didn't realize this was happening until I was much older and looked back on it. They didn't just pull me out and say, is this your kid? They were a bit more subtle about it. The parents who would come to quote-unquote meet me and upon realizing that I was not their child, they'd often leave in tears, thinking about all these families that were in desperation because they were going to have their child back. 
but I felt so horrible for them. It's a feeling that I cannot explain, like a type of guilt, like I wish I had been their child so they could have had their kid back, and they would have known that their child was safe. Most of those people probably never saw their child again, but I try and imagine that all of them were reunited, even though I know that that probably never happened. The guilt was one of the things that kept me in therapy as an adult, but like I said, no therapist had ever bought my story or believed what I said. The most common belief suggested to me has always been that I was abandoned as a child and lived in a broken home and was dumped on the side of a dirt road in the middle of a farm and I repressed all my negative emotions and memories about my past. I didn't stay in that foster home permanently while my case wasn't ever closed. I needed to start going to school and I needed identification. I was issued a birth certificate for the date that I told him was my birth year but the day and month were listed in September on the 17th, the day that I was quote-unquote found. I never understood why they didn't just put my regular birthday, but I imagine it was because they didn't actually know who I was. My name was unchanged, and I started going to school sporadically. One of the child psychologists who had seen me recommended that I not be placed back in full curriculum immediately and suspected that I suffered from some form of PTSD. I was put in a quote-unquote special class with a special kids and was only made to go to school twice a week initially. Eventually, I started going to school full-time and changed foster homes a few more times. I really can't say how much time had passed before it happened, but eventually I was placed up for adoption. I was never actually told that I was up for adoption, so I'm not sure how soon it was after I was found that I was actually up for adoption. But eventually people started coming to meet me. But these people weren't looking for a missing child. They were looking to adopt one. But I definitely did not represent myself as a good candidate. I had a story that nobody believed or could verify. And I insisted that my parents would eventually find me. And I rarely had a day that I wasn't crying until my eyes burned. This story doesn't have a happy ending. I never saw my parents again. And I was a ward of the state until I was 18. And went nowhere from there. My teens were filled with delinquency and I had a brief stint in something called Juvie in San Diego and was in a program called Chaparral. I never went to college and I never really got started with my life until I was about 24. I haven't talked publicly about this before now, at least not since I was a child speaking to everybody who was trying to figure out where I came from. I still have Sparky. He's old and worn, but still in one piece, no longer white. He's now a darker shade of brownish gray. He sits on my dresser and is there right now, just like he's always been as long as I've had him. While I haven't publicly brought this up or spoken about this in any large-scale fashion, I've told this story to people who wanted to listen, and I've gotten one question, understandably, repeatedly, including from my shrink. So before you ask it, I'll try to answer the best that I can. And the question is, what things are different in the place that you came from compared to where you are now? And all I can say is that I'm really not that sure... I've been asked about countries, states, laws, planets, languages, you name it. The fact is, I really don't know. I was six. The continents could have been completely different, and I would have had no idea. I wasn't particularly bright either. I mean, I was hunting for rattlesnakes. I also thought California was a country. I can say the President of the United States was not Bill Clinton. I can't remember exactly what his name was, but we had to learn it in kindergarten. I believe his name was Robert something or other. I want to say Robert Wilmer, but don't quote me on that. 
Anyways, that's my story. I doubt anybody will read this, and it will likely be buried in 10 pages deep in 15 minutes, but it's now off my chest, in the open, and now that it's out there, I can move on with the rest of my life. Well, it's a real story about a real little boy. You know, I don't know if this little boy is from another reality, parallel universe, or what, but it's just another story from the Mothman. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.